Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Why should I Good morning and happy Black History Month. 
I am Pastor Stacy Current, the District Superintendent for the Bay District, and it is a joy and an honor to be able to share with you a message this morning for Black History Month. So let's dig right in. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, uh, 25 through 28, and 35, 34 through 35. Hear now the words of scripture. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found them. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day and for always for the gift of your spirit. Oh God, I ask that you would speak to my heart and give me words that would bring new life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. Those were the remarkable words of an awesome 22-year-old woman who is our National Poet Laureate, Amanda Gorman. She spoke them at the inauguration of President Joe Biden, and her words have resonated in my spirit. That, that we maybe are not a nation that is broken, but simply unfinished. 
I love that concept because um, you hear so much about we are a nation that is broken, but, but John Wesley talked about this process of going on to perfection, that we are always in pottery in the master's hands, always being formed and shaped and created into what we might yet be. And so Amanda's words gave me hope and, and light that maybe we are not broken but maybe we are just in the middle of the story. We're not irrevocably broken, but, but we're in the midst of becoming and becoming all that God would have us to be. And that by a movement of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God that sets us free, that we might be brought through to completion. So it's with that spirit that I come to you today. Uh, in Black History Month, I'm often asked to preach because I'm a preacher and I'm black. And so people ask me to preach. And during ordinary times, I, I, I you know, would tell you some stories about uh, how Carter G. Woodson started Black History Month uh, with a National Negro Week that expanded into a month over time. Or I might tell you how uh, Garrett Morgan in 1923 invented the traffic light. I might even regale you in ordinary times of some Martin Luther King quotes and and might share those things with you, but these are not ordinary times. These are not ordinary times. Last summer, we witnessed for eight minutes and 46 seconds, George Floyd being murdered by a police officer with his knee on his neck. These are not ordinary times. On January 6th, we witnessed, we witnessed live on TV, insurrectionists storming the seat of our nation's uh, legislative capital, seeking to kill and hang elected officials. These are not ordinary times. These are times when America's original sin of white supremacy can no longer be avoided. And to be silent or pretend like it's business as usual would be to be complicit. And so the truth of the matter is, if we're honest, before Dr. King died, he, he did say that the dream he had, that one day his kids would be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, that that, that dream had become a nightmare because he believed he was a little naive in thinking that America's devotion to white supremacy would be uprooted so easily. So today with you, I wanna swim away from the shallow end of the pool, from just a nice little Black History Month sermon and message. I wanna swim away from the shallow end and get into the deep. Today, I wanna to talk to you about troubling the narrative. Troubling the narrative. Troubling the narrative is a phrase by author, theologian, speaker, Austin Channing Brown. And when she wants to talk about race or going deeper in race, she said it's time to trouble the narrative. When we trouble the narrative, Austin says, it's time for you to move beyond simplistic, convenient narratives and wrestle with complexity and nuance. I love that phrase, trouble the narrative, because it reminds me of the spiritual wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. And that was a sign for enslaved Africans that were escaping from plantations that they would know, uh, get in the water. God will lead us through the water so that the, the hound dogs couldn't catch their scent 
through the water. It reminds me that that phrase, trouble the narrative of when the angel came down to the pool and found that man who'd been there for years, not able to get in. And the angel troubled the water. That, that word trouble means to agitate, to stir up, to, to mix it up a little bit so that healing and hope might be available. And so today I want us to get into the deep end of the pool and I want us to trouble the narrative and read scripture so that hope and healing might be available to us today. Last summer, following the protest of, of George Floyd, I remember uh, the murder of George Floyd, there were many protests all over the place of many different people, all different colors coming together to, to raise their voice against such a heinous crime. One of the women, women who was in the crowds of pictures of folks that I saw who were protesting, she was a white woman and she was holding this sign and it, and it, it stuck with me. The sign said, there are no white people in the Bible, in big letters. There are no white people in the Bible. And underneath that, in small letters on the sign said, sit with that information for as long as you need it. And I don't know, it tickled me because I grew up in a time where I was raised to believe that Jesus was white and if Jesus was white, God with his father, so God was white too. I grew up with this picture. I don't know if the camera can catch it, but it's this picture and you've probably seen it. It's called the head of Christ. And it's by a, a Swedish evangelist drawer, uh, artist, whose name was Warner Solomon. And he drew this picture of Jesus um, to look like young Swedish men so that young people would come and be uh, convinced to come to church. They'd see a Jesus that looked like him. Well, he did this picture and it got commissioned and publishers lifted it up, took it. It was published millions and millions of copies. The YWCA themselves bought millions of copies and put them on postcards because their theme was an image of Jesus in every wallet and in every purse. And missionaries took these pictures of the, the head of Christ and they took them all over, all over the country. In my black Baptist church growing up and in my black grandmother's home growing up, there was this picture of this white Jesus that Warner Selman had portrayed and missionaries took this through the whole world and shaped an image of Jesus that affected the whole 20th century. I always lived as a young person with this cognitive dissonance, knowing that the geography that the Bible was talking about was in the Middle East at the intersection of Africa and Asia. And, and yet I knew a girl from, my friend was, uh, Rania was from the Middle East and she had brown skin like me and black hair. And yet there was this image of Jesus that had blonde hair and blue eyes. And, and trying to reconcile that for a long time, um, it, 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 it affected me deeply. But scholars have known, scholars have known for, for a long time that, that Jesus was a brown man. Scholars have known that, that Jesus uh, was brown skin. If you remember when Mary and Joseph escaped from the wrath of, of, the, of Herod, they escaped to Egypt. Other brown people who looked like them where they could blend in, Egypt is still in Africa. And so today you might be saying, Pastor Stacy, why are you telling us all of this? 
I'm telling you all of this because to study black history and to talk about black history is to talk about biblical history. Black history is biblical history. Long before those 50 persons from Angola were trafficked over here to Jamestown, Virginia in 1619, long before that, there, there was black history on the continent of Africa. As a matter of fact, when God formed Adam from the dust, that dust was the warm sun soil of Africa. Scientists have shown that the origins of humanity come from Africa, come from probably a place in Africa called Botswana. So if this is true, if the people in scripture were brown, and if Jesus was brown, when, when we trouble the narrative, we read the Bible through the lens that shows Jesus as a brown-skinned man from the intersection of Africa and Asia who started a black indigenous people of color movement against the oppressors who had colonized them. The Jesus movement didn't start with people who were at the middle and at the seat of power. It started with people who are on the margins. And so through that lens, when we read our scripture and interpret it, we get a whole different a whole different story. The traditional reading of this scripture is that Peter was sent out to spread the gospel with the other apostles and Cornelius was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. And so because he was not a Gentile, that Peter wasn't so uh, ready to accept him and spread the gospel to him. And the, the regular read of the scripture is that we should not uh, separate people from the love of God, that we should not allow barriers such as our backgrounds and foods we eat and don't eat and ethnicities, that we shouldn't allow that to separate us and that we should get beyond our barriers. Amen. There are no barriers to God's love and salvation. Amen. Praise God. That is true on the surface. But when we trouble the narrative, when we trouble the narrative and allow the Holy Spirit to agitate and stir up the waters, another story emerges. And we see Peter as a man of color who is spreading the liberating message of a revolutionary black man named Jesus, who was a community organizer executed by the state for challenging the social, political, and economic systems of the day. We see Cornelius as an Italian officer in the Roman army. And if we were to put it in today's imagery, we see Peter as a black activist and Cornelius as a white cop. If we put it in today's uh, narrative, we see that dichotomy. I told you we were going to trouble the narrative this morning. And when we look at that, we, we see that it wasn't necessarily uh, Peter's reluctance to convert Cornelius because he wasn't Jewish. That was part of it. But Cornelius wasn't the first non-Jewish person to be converted. Remember with me, there is the Ethiopian eunuch who had been converted. But that wasn't controversial. Why not? Because the Ethiopian eunuch was a brown person who looked like them, who was not a part of the oppressive class. But when it came to converting Cornelius, there was a problem. And the problem, you might ask, is history. How many Jews had Peter seen the Roman army kill? Certainly, he had killed, they had killed his Savior, his Lord. How many times 
had they been agitated by the Roman army? Why should Peter trust Cornelius? Why should he risk his life and risk the movement being halted to be able to reach out to Cornelius? In the midst of a lot that's been going on today, I hear quite loudly that there is a superficial call, a premature call for unity. Let's just get along. Let's just be united. But unity that does not deal with repentance and doesn't deal with the reality of history is, is shallow and it's false. There is a reason why we can't just unite without going deeper. The reason are many from the Tuskegee experiment to African Americans to Native Americans being given blankets full of smallpox to Japanese internment camps to Mexican children separated from their parents in cages on the border. There, and the list could go on and on. There's lots of reasons why we just can't unite without some work. It's dangerous and it's risky because you don't know if your hands and your heart will be met with kindness. And I'm sure that's what Peter struggled with. But I don't know if we need to let people who have been oppressive to us that close where they can hurt us and stop the movement. And so Cornelius is wanting to be a part of the movement. And Peter is apprehensive. And it took God coming to Peter and, and preparing Peter's heart to be able to receive Cornelius. But when we look at Cornelius, there's something important to know. That Cornelius had been doing his work. Cornelius was a believer in God. Cornelius had been giving to the poor and doing acts of kindness and generosity. Cornelius had a good track record that gave maybe Peter a little bit more sense of ease and of calm. I think if we were to look at it in today, maybe, maybe we see that Peter had aligned himself, that, I'm sorry, Cornelius had aligned himself with um, uh, reading books like White Fragility and uh, books by Ibram Kendi about how to be anti-racist, that Cornelius had actually done some work of, of giving to black organizations and, and listening to black and brown people and doing the Google search instead of asking black people questions you can answer on your own, that Cornelius had done some work and was ready and that God prepared Peter. And so you have these two men, black activists and a white cop, who are unlikely to be together, but you see that God has spoken to Peter and humbled Peter. And God has spoken to Cornelius and humbled Cornelius. And what we can see is that they are able to come together because God has ordained this and they have both prepared their hearts in their souls. When we trouble the narrative, we really see that this is a story about more than just accepting people of differences. It's about a revolutionary movement being led by brown people being asked to trust a white person to help them further the work. It is especially fitting in today's world because as a black woman, I am only so effective in changing the narrative around 
black people. I can tell you my story. I can say that my life matters. But the places where the needle really gets moved are around dinner tables and boardroom tables and in playgrounds and in Little League. Those are the times when, when we further the movement because we have allies that don't look like us, but that come alongside and God has prepared and that we can work together to further the work. Peter's hesitancy gives me great hope because there is a reason, good reason, justifiable reason to be hesitant to form alliances because history has not always shown that those alliances are helpful. And there's a lot of history to say, I don't, I don't know if we can really trust, but there is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is in the middle of all of this, that is preparing Cornelius's, that have done their work, and preparing Peter's, who've opened their heart, and preparing Cornelius's and Peter's, who have trusted God to be able to make some unlikely alliances and further the work in a way that is unimaginable. My dad was a cop, 37 years with LAPD. And for several years, I was the police chaplain, Protestant police chaplain for the SFPD. And there was a story I told about my son and the cops in a Starbucks one day. And, I, and in recent years, I've gotten so angry with, with where we are with the state of policing that I said, I'm never gonna tell this story again. Um, and God convicted me and said, you must tell this story because it's not your story to tell, it's my story that I tell through you. So when I think about Peter and Cornelius and, and not trusting each other because of history and leaping over those things, I think about this story. My, my son was about 15 years old, about six years ago, and he and I were at the Starbucks in our neighborhood in San Francisco. The neighborhood was mostly Caucasian. We were the only two black people in the Starbucks. And we were there one night and um, we were waiting for our drinks to come in, uh, get done, and these burly cops come into the place. And it was right at the, the height of, uh, of, I think, um, a young man had just been killed by, by the police and a lot of unrest and, and angst between young black men and, and cops. And my, my son had his hoodie on and I was, I saw the cops come in and I just got nervous and disoriented. Now, my dad was a cop and I am the chaplain of the SFPD and I am feeling nervous and I'm feeling anxious because here I am with my son and they don't know him. They don't know that he's, you know, this sweet young guy and he's full of promise and hope and all of this. He's a young black man in a hood and I'm nervous because what's going to happen? And everybody in the Starbucks is around there and they're, they're looking at this young black man and me, we're the only black people in there, standing with his hood on and the cops come in and there's just a tension that's palpable in the room and you can feel it. And I sat there and I was saying, oh gosh, please let them hurry up and make our coffee drinks. I'm nervous, I wanna go, I wanna leave. I don't wanna be in there because of the tension. 
can these people be trusted? The, the history is that they've been killing young black men, not these guys, but the, the police force. And so I, I'm nervous, nervous y'all, I'm nervous. And I noticed one of the big burliest cops, he's looking at me and he's staring at me and he's peering at me. And I look at him and I, you know, say my favorite prayer, which is help <laughs> to God and, and thinking, God, give me a sign, show me something. And the guy looks at me and he peers at me and I'm thinking, oh gosh, this is really gonna be it. And he points at me and he says, hope. And I look at him and I say, hope, huh, hope? And he says, yeah, hope. You're the pastor that did the funeral for hope. And I thought about it. Yeah, Hope was a young, young lesbian woman who had died of, of ovarian cancer and they had this huge funeral and I was blessed to be able to walk with her family and their, her colleagues through that and it was a huge funeral, it was beautiful and I remembered and he said, then the nudge just officer and they said, oh yeah, yeah, Hope, yeah. And right there in that moment, he said, oh, that was a wonderful service. I hadn't been to church in a long time, but after that service, I went back to church. I'm Catholic, I'm not Methodist, but, and we had this wonderful exchange. And, um, you know, the, the whole atmosphere in that Starbucks shifted. And, you know, they did give us some of the free pastries because cops do get free pastries and all of that. They talked to my son and said, one day you're gonna go on a ride. And everybody around us looked at us because they had been expecting based on history something potentially terrible, but God stepped in. And that whole place, the whole atmosphere was transformed because the Holy Spirit stepped in with a word of hope. I had stopped telling that story because I was losing hope that things may get better I was losing hope that our denomination could get over itself and get to a place that our world could get to a place of true, true equity and justice. But God reminded me that's not your story to stop telling, it's my story. And the story between Cornelius and Peter is God's story of unlikely people getting over some huge challenges but through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit coming together. And that story in the gospel, in the scripture, it ends by saying, because Peter reached out to Cornelius and because Cornelius reached back out to Peter and was humble, that the Holy Spirit came down on everybody who was gathered there. It was, they call it a, a Pentecost for the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit came down and moved among them and transformed that community. We have a ways to go, but I'm encouraged. We have a way to go with healing, but God is still doing great things. And so I still maintain that I'm not interested in unifying with white supremacists, but my heart is open to Cornelius and the Cornelius in me, my heart is open to a Peter. And if we can be open to one another, 
God will save us all. History now has its eyes upon us. And more importantly, God has God's eyes upon us. And I'll close with the words from Amanda Gorman. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to form a union with purpose. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. When the day comes, we will step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light, if only we are brave enough to see it. If only we are brave enough to be it. Let us trouble the narrative. Let us be the light. May it be so. Thanks be to God.
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.